0: Put your hands together for the King of Kings. My God in this house. I feel his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Happy Easter. Good getting up. Resurrection morning. The King is alive. Hallelujah. Today we celebrate the most revolutionary story ever told. From life to death, back to life. The first fruits of the resurrections, which means if he came out of that grave, I'm coming out too. And some of you are coming out. And before this Sunday's over, I'm praying all of you come to the realization of how you need to come out of that tomb. Would you one more time give the King of kings and the Lord of lords a great welcome into this house, his house, The Redeemer is here. Hallelujah. Happy Easter, promise of victory. Hallelujah. You may be seated in this house. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God, my God. The most revolutionary story ever told. The only one that can testify what it looks like on the other side and came back to tell the story and is alive forevermore seated at the right hand of the father ever making intercession for you and i that's what we celebrate today. That's all the other things, the trappings, the, the circumstances, and all of the, the fluff and stuff. I, I know there's people that hates it and resents it, and I don't get involved in those arguments. Uh, I don't strain at gnats and gag camels. I don't, I don't get invested in those kind of arguments because people are dying and going to hell, and a bunny rabbit never sent them there. I just want to know today, is anybody thankful that the tomb is empty, but heaven is full of his glory? Amen. I'm ready for the king to come back and get me. Hallelujah. So before I start my message this morning, this Easter sermon, I've got a special uh, uh, arrangement that I have set up. I didn't know it was going to happen, but Easter was a great time for it to to come in and for me to be able to do it. Uh, I have, in the church of God, been around a a long time, and I've been uh, a minister and, and a licensed minister for a long time in the church of God. And because of that um, I've I've had the opportunity and the privilege to set a lot of people forth into the ministry and I've done most of that right here at, at this local church through the years of my almost 20 years of pastoring this church and none of which has struck me like this one has because this one is the fruit of my loins this one is my only begotten son and at this point in whom I'm well pleased. Because, amen? My Jared has accomplished the first rank of licensed ministry in the church of God, which is exhorter. With an exhorter's license, Jared has the opportunity, if the Lord so opened the doors, he could pastor a church, he could evangelize, he, he could, he could de- defend the gospel, he can go out and do missionary work if, he, if the Lord led him in that direction. There's a lot of opportunities with this first rank of exhorter. Because I am the highest rank and ordained bishop in the church of God, I have the opportunity to be a regional bishop, an overseer of the entire region. And guess who gets to sign exhorter certificates for people on their region? That would be the district overseer or the regional bishop. So it was never a greater privilege for me to sign beside of my state overseer, my administrative bishop Daniel Hampton, than it was when I got to sign my own son's exhorter's certificate. So I want to ask my son Jared and his much better half Rachel if they would come this morning. I didn't know I was getting this and it showed up two days ago and I said Easter morning's a good time. So with this certificate as the district overseer, regional bishop of this area, I'm instructed to inform you that this is but a beginning, not an ending. And prayerfully and with God's purpose in your life, you're going to continue the rest of your days not only serving God but leading others to find Him. Now, that's as district overseer. This is dad. And to go with that, condition yourself to pray. Nothing will ever give you strength more than your personal prayer life with your Savior and purpose to learn this book above all the news and all the circumstances and anything else that would try to infiltrate your heart and your mind nothing will sustain you like this book learn to love and appreciate this book and on this occasion I've done this for every person I've ever set forth I give you a Bible that you can use to preach from to study from to read and to engorge your spirit with because nothing will sustain you like this word hallelujah many of you were with us when we were praying for that boy to come back and now that he's back I've got a sermon I want to preach because some of you are sitting out there wondering when yours are coming back We're going to figure something out this morning. I'm going to give you a a message this morning uh, that is Easter-centered. However, I'm going to stay in the vein of the series that I have been doing. The series that I've been preaching is I'm Better Than This. Now, I want every person in here because I know we have a lot of visitors this morning that hasn't been here for the previous installments of this. What does that mean, I'm Better Than This? That means that wherever you are, as you sit there, you're better than that there's another version of you that has not yet been unlocked that has not yet been seen the light of day you've been holding some stuff in that you should let go and you've been holding some stuff out that God's trying to get into you and before this series is out I want to explore all of that and I want you to realize that you are better than where you sit right now some of you brought your past in here we're going to deal with that some of you brought your present in here we'll deal with that too And some of you brought fear of the future in here and no matter what you brought in here today, you can be free in Jesus' name, and we're going to make sure that we lead you in that direction. Now, I want you to open your Bibles if you have one, and if you don't have one, don't feel bad. I'm going to have a big one on the wall behind my head to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, pastor, that's not the Easter message. Hold your horses. We'll get there and pardon me because I know that in the modern-day church we're not used to reading big long lengthy passages of God's Word uh, but far forbid for us to read his word in his house but this morning I felt compelled to just go ahead and give you about 18 verses out of the book of Joshua chapter 2 so we're going to talk this morning about I'm better than this and this is the Easter version of this verse 1 then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. Stop right there. You realize, of course, that Jericho is not God's property. Of course, God owns it all. But he sent them out from the Israelite camp. They left God's place and are going into the world. This is where God is sending them to spy out the land. Mm -hmm. So the two men set out and came to the house of a missionary. Oh, that ain't what the Bible says? They came to the house of a that can't be in the Bible. This is the Bible. This is God's word. There ain't no way it says that He sent them out to spend the night at a prostitute's house. There ain't no way. That these two men of God, on a mission from God, ended up at the brothel. Y'all ain't going to help me, are you? Y'all going to lay down on me already? This going to be a long morning. They ended up at a brothel and stayed the night. Good thing there wasn't no Twitter back then. These brothers are canceled already. I mean, here's two men saying they on a mission from God. They didn't go down to the mission house. They didn't go to the evangelist quarters over at the parsonage. No, no, no. They go to a prostitute's house and spend the night. But someone told the king of Jericho, <laughs> some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, that's the prostitute, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men. I bet she did. But she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. Say, she just lied. Yeah, she just just lied. Hold on to that thought because I'm coming back to it. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. Listen to what she says in verse 9. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord, Uh, uh, Now I can't move on past that we have heard how the Lord done helped you we have heard how the Lord made a way for you we heard how you were incompetent but God made a way we heard some stuff about you before you ever got here we know who's who's you belong to we know the Lord has given you this land we are afraid of you everyone in the land is living in terror for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path of you Through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did over in Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And here's where the prostitute gets serious. She just testified she understands who God is. And in verse 12, she said, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family. I'm going to say that part again because you're going to need it when I get to the end of this message. That you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho was conquered, you will let me live along with my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Stop right there. He just made a promise based on her life. Oh, y'all going to quit on me. My whole amen committee just resigned right there on that one point. Oh, I don't like it either. I'll get to that in a minute. They just made a promise based off her lie. If you keep lying and protect us, we promise we'll protect you. Uh huh. Verse 15, Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them, Hide there for three days when the, men were, from when the men were searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Verse 17, before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window that you helped us escape from I thought I might get a shout in a Pentecostal church right there you got to leave. Listen, he didn't just say a, a rope. God don't waste words. Do you understand the significance? Oh, you will in a moment. Some of you still don't understand the significance that when he said, don't just leave a rope. Don't just leave some kind of cord. Don't just give us a bat signal. Don't just leave some kind of printed out copy of some poor folks' uh, uh, amendment that they have copied off of Twitter. He said, put a scarlet rope. Make sure the rope is red. It is visible and it's hanging out the window that you helped us escape out of Mm. and the family members your father, your mother, your brothers and all your relatives they got to be inside they got to be behind the rope they got to be where the rope is if they're outside they'll be destroyed but as long as they're hiding behind a red rope everything is going to be oh hallelujah I'll get happy and preach already Now, there is a doctrine that I don't want to bore you to death with, but when you do a schematic study of this passageway and the book of Exodus, there's a principle that is called the Passover principle. And I often think of it this time of year. Back when the church was smaller and we had more indoctrinated folks in the the pews, I used to teach on it. We would refer to it as the Passover principle came true in Christ. When the death angel back in the book of Exodus was coming through Egypt, and Israel was held captive as slaves God was going to let them go and the way he did it was he told them to put the blood from one lamb over their doorpost and when the death angel came through the town the death angel would pass over any house that was hid behind the blood any house that was protected by the blood any house that had taken the time to point to the blood (laughs) any house that had made a sacrifice and was dependent on the blood was safe and death would pass over and as we get into this sermon I want you to keep that in mind because as the book of Joshua teaches us these spies came to Rahab's house and they were of the lineage of the folks who had seen the death angel Passover. They knew what God could do. They knew that when God said, He protects us, oh, He protects us. They knew that if you hid behind the blood, there wasn't a devil in hell that could come and mess up your day. Now, the Bible says they come into town and they find themselves a prostitute. This story gets strange quickly. Why in the world is God telling us that they went to a prostitute's house and spent the night? Obviously they wasn't there looking for a prayer meeting. I'm sure they wasn't there believing that anybody in that house would believe in their God. But she starts testifying. She said, I heard about you boys before you even got here. You the guys that follows that God that can part the Red Sea and blow the ground dry on the way through. You're the bunch that defeats every enemy even though you lived as slaves for 430 years and don't have no uh, reason to be victorious. God just keeps showing up and defeating all your enemies for you. No wonder everybody is afraid of you. You don't even know what you're doing and God keeps showing off for you. You're the crowd that's got favor all over your life. We heard about you. And she said, I got a deal for you. Right about now, these guards that are looking for you boys are down there closing the city gates. And you are locked inside. She said, I'll take you upstairs. And when the soldiers get here, you hide. Let me talk to them boys. I know most of them. (laughs) In my line of work, I have made their acquaintance. So you let me talk to them, you go upstairs and stay low. My theological difficulty with this story is that there is a lie in the book. And the lie she tells helps deliver God's people. Now that may not mess with you, but it messes with me. I get a little bit bent out of shape when I think about how she helped deliver these boys. By telling a bold-faced lie. I mean, it wasn't a little lie. She flat said in the book, I don't know where they are and don't know where they went. She lied, and it worked. She lied, and God accomplished his purpose. I had a big problem with this as a young Christian, reading how a lie was used for God's purpose. And that was until I realized how the blood worked. See, when I backed up and started reading this story again, I recognized that she started talking about folks that wasn't there, wasn't testifying, and wasn't asking to be protected. See, my theological difficulty is about the lie, but I have to look past the lie and see the blood. Oh, I wish I had a witness in this church. Because some people are so phony, we act like because we up under the blood, we ain't got no lies left in us. Some of you up under the blood, but your cuss are still working. Some of you up under the blood, and you still chasing folk you ain't married to. I wish somebody would just be honest in this church and realize you under the blood, but everything ain't worked out. I checked everybody. I walked through the back of this building when I first got here. Ain't none of you sprouting wings yet. Ain't none of you perfect yet. I know you up under the blood, but there's some stuff. If you're honest, you're still trying to work out some salvation with fear and trembling. She lies, and the lie works. And the Bible says she let him down on a red cord. She let him down on a red cord. She let him down on a red cord through the lie the red cord delivered past her frailty the red cord delivered she didn't do it all right but the red cord delivered she didn't do it like the church folk wanted her to but the red cord delivered. I understand that some of you are about to get nervous because I'm talking about doing stuff the old-fashioned way and at the same time uh, ignoring the fact that we're all supposed to act like that we are phony and that we don't have no sin in our life. I grew up in that church. I grew up in the old holiness church. I grew up where everybody acted on Sunday like they didn't have no sin left in their life. But I would go out and try to invite people to go to church with me and they said, why would I go down to that house where a bunch of hypocrites dwell because I see them on Tuesday. I know what they like at work. I know what they're like at the gambling joint. See, you don't see them, but on Sunday, you think that they're elders such as much. You think that they're missionary this and that. But I know them on Wednesday day when they are out ca- canoodling with people that they that see, we understood something back then, and that was that God demands holiness. What we didn't always understand was that holiness don't come from the way we dress, the way we talk. Or what church we take membership in. This woman lied and it worked. And there's four things I want to teach you about the blood this morning. Are you ready to learn? I'm going to go through them very quickly. The first thing is that the blood is a sign of the atonement. Do you know what the Bible said? When you come into that city, you look for the red cord hanging out the window. And if there's a red cord hanging out that window, you leave that house alone. And from that day forward, whenever you looked at Rahab's house, you would see the red cord. From that day forward, when the enemy came and and would look for a place to disrupt and dismantle, they would see a red cord and they would know that they had to pass over that particular house. Right now, on the domicile of your life, there hangs a blood red rope out the window. Some of you have done it willingly, and some of you have done it because your mama has prayed it over you. Some of you haven't even accepted Jesus as your Savior yet, but you don't know that hanging over the domicile of your shoulder, I don't know if there's anybody in here going to be honest this morning, but I know there was some times that I should have had my car run clean off the cliff. There's some times alcohol poisoning should have took me out, but thank God for a praying grandma that had a red cord hanging over the domicile of my soul. Thank God for mamas that pray. Thank God for daddies that pray because when you don't ask for it, the protection is... The atonement is for sin. You need the blood over your life. You need to repent of sin. The reason Jesus got up on Easter was so sin would lose its power over your life so that you would no longer walk In the iniquity that brought you to a place of death and despair. And right now, right now, it doesn't matter what somebody's past is. Because if you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, there is a cord placed over you that preaches when you don't know how to. When you repent of your sins, There is a spiritual red cord placed over the heart that tells every devil in hell who you belong to. If this was the old church, I'd run. And when that cord is applied, it's strong enough to eradicate your sin. It's strong enough to deliver you from sin. It is powerful enough to make you forget you ever liked sin in the first place and bring you into a place of acceptance in his kingdom. If you're thankful for the blood, give him a hand clap. You need to understand that the blood is a guarantee of deliverance in every situation where you feel overwhelmed, and outnumbered the second thing I want to teach you about the blood is that it is a reminder it's something to hold on to it's a reminder that a miracle is available for you No matter what you are facing right now, the blood is a reminder. Oh, you need to hold on to this thing. I'm going to go ahead and tell somebody that those of you that are sitting here this morning wondering when your miracle is going to show up, I can't prophesy and tell you I know, but I know this. As long as you're holding on to this, you got a miracle in your future. This blood, this cord, hang on to it because it's a reminder that deliverance is possible. It's a, it's a reminder to you that God's already made up his mind to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. As long as you're holding on to this, you know that you are tied to something. See, I want you to understand something about this blood. This blood didn't come because you wanted it. Because you had to have it at the moment you asked for it. This blood was applied a long time before you was even a twinkle in your great-great-grandmommy's eye. I I want you to understand that this blood was available before you was available. And it is something for you to hold on to. Because he wants you to know when you got nothing left, you've got this. Hold on to this. I'm going to preach to somebody. I'm going to preach to somebody right now. Listen to me. Some of y'all have been wondering, why did they walk out on me? Why? Why did they leave me? Why did they abandon me? Honey, I can tell you, you can lose everybody. As long as you hold on to this, you got everything you need. They can lay you off, they can fire you, they can dismiss you, they can foreclose on the house, but if you hold on, if you hold on to the blood, you've got everything. Uh, you've got everything you need. People can walk out on you. Jobs can come and go. But as long as you hold on to the blood, no weapon. No weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. The third thing I want you to to know is that the blood is a sign of preservation. It'll keep you. While I give him a Bible, it'll keep a preacher. It'll keep a preacher's marriage together. It'll keep a family together. The blood is a sign that when everything is pulling at the strings of your life, trying to unravel you, that the blood is everything you need to preserve yourself. Uh, Oh, I know it's old fashioned. Let me just deal with this right now. I know preaching on the blood is passe now. I know the new emerging church, we're not supposed to talk about a bloody religion. But I'm standing here today because of the blood. I'm holding a microphone today because of the blood. Because when the devil thought he could kill me, it was the blood that kept me. When the devil thought he'd have my ministry, it was the blood that kept me going. When the enemy came in like a flood. It was the word of God, the blood that raised up a standard and fought against him. I, I know it's old-fashioned but can I tell you it ain't never lost its power. Look at your neighbor and say it'll still work, it'll still work. Let me just tell you something about me that you don't know. I came up in the old-time way. I came up with the old-timers. I'd show up to church. I'd have my suit and tie on. I'd show up 45 minutes early so I'd get my seat. Right there where Sister Sarah says, that was my seat. I didn't like to sit back there. You sit back there, you got to see all the screaming babies you got to watch all the grandmas share their photographs of their screaming babies. you got to watch uh, one of the elders pick his nose and then wipe it somewhere he shouldn't have wiped it. You sit in the back, you see some stuff. I didn't want to be distracted. I knew I wanted to be up close and personal, so what I was getting was what I came to get. Y'all hearing me? I'd show up early so that nobody else get what I wanted to get. And I would hear things in the parking lot that I hadn't even got into the building to observe yet and what I would hear was the old timers pacing the floor of that little Church of God church wringing their hands and they were not speaking eloquently listen to me when I was fresh in the church I didn't know nothing from nothing but I was smarter than the people I was going to church with And by smarter, I mean I was more educated. These old saints, a lot of them never finished fifth grade. They were coal miners and wives of coal miners. They didn't have anything in the ways of education. But I would hear them in the parking lot as they paced the floor in front of that altar. I plead the blood. Oh, God. I plead the blood I pleaded over my husband who's a drunk Lord the blood is enough I plead the blood over my prodigal son the blood is enough I plead the blood for our pastor when he gets here tonight that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against him I plead the blood against this spirit in this community I plead the blood over this nation I plead the blood over this city and they didn't know anything about eschatology or dogma and they couldn't explain to you what hermeneutics is and all the those fancy things that we t- get taught in seminary they didn't know anything but this is what they knew when they pled the blood devils jumped back when they pled the blood depression went and ran out the window when they pled the blood people came to the altar and gates they didn't know what most of the Bible said but they knew when they pled the blood that heaven opened up and the glory of God They knew that when they pled the blood, sickness had to go. Because the blood chases demons. The blood chases sickness. The blood will deliver you from your bondages. The blood. The blood. Oh, we used to preach on the blood and the saints would swing from the chandelier. Now they tell us that we're not supposed to talk about a bloody religion because it makes people nervous. You came too late to talk me out of it. Because this I know, I don't know if it makes you nervous, but I know it makes hell nervous. (laughs) And as long as it makes hell nervous, I'm about to declare it all over this building every chance I get. So the Bible lets us know that in chapter 6 of Joshua, that they come into the city, and God gives them Old Testament instructions. Sometimes a preacher wishes God would just go Old Testament on folks. You know why so many people are in the church today playing games with God? Because he ain't went Old Testament in a while. You know, in the Old Testament, when he used to open up the earth and swallow about 250,000 folks. Old Testament used to rain down fire and brimstone and burn up whole cities. He ain't done that in a minute. So everybody playing games with God. But in in Joshua chapter 6, he went Old Testament. He sent them troops into that city, into Jericho. He said, I want you to burn it. Burn it all. Burn it down to the ground. Kill everything. People, livestock, water bugs, cockroaches bed bugs anything breathing kill it except I mean I want you to burn the whole city down I don't want you to leave nothing breathing nothing walks out do you understand me I'm giving you marching orders you go into that city and nothing comes out except Wherever you saw this red cord, you let them alone. (laughs) Hey, when the destruction comes, the destruction don't fall wherever the red cord is applied. I want somebody in this church that knows what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that blessing, to give God about five seconds of your best praise. Because I'm close to quitting. Judgment came to Rahab's city and everything is getting tore up as as fast as God's messengers can work and then they notice something hanging in the window. She didn't know it when she hid them spies but she applied the Passover principle to start working in her life. Bible says in in chapter 6, He goes into the house and he says, Rahab, get you, get your relatives, and get out. Because death has passed you over. And you got one working in your life too. You didn't know it when you walked in here this morning. Some of you didn't. But you have got a Passover principle working in your life too. Let me point something out to you that's going to encourage you on this Easter morning. Do you know the book doesn't say a word, not one thing, about Rahab's family asking Joshua or any of the soldiers for help? She stood in for the whole bunch. All of them were safe because one prostitute dared ask God to keep her family safe the Bible says the whole family was saved because she knew who God was and that's what happened to a lot of you that's what happened to me death thought it was going to come in and snatch some of you but when it got to you even though you wasn't walking right y'all ain't going to help me I'm going to have to come out there y'all ain't going to help me some of y'all don't like this but I can testify this morning that when death thought it was going to come and snatch me from the land of the living it saw something over my life that I didn't even know I had applied myself my mother had prayed my grandmother had prayed some of y'all got praying daddies some of y'all got praying aunties some of y'all got praying saints in the church that you used to be right? And then you slid back out and you don't know what's over you and the devil can see it even though you don't identify it. Some of y'all better be thanking God that somebody prayed for you. The message of the Passover principle is this. Death thought it was coming in but it came in and saw the blood and passed you over. Some of y'all got sick, and death came with it, but it passed you over. Some of y'all got hooked on drugs. Some of y'all about drank yourself to death, and while you was out wilding, somebody was praying the blood and pleading the blood over your life, And while you was not even looking for God, the devil came in and said, before you can accept him, I'll kill you. But he saw something that made him back up, that made him back off. Y'all need to go home on this Easter and start thanking somebody for praying over you when you weren't even trying to find. There's some stuff in your life that would have visited you and destroyed you. But because it saw the red cord hanging over your life, it passed you over. There's some sicknesses that would have came and stuck around, but it saw that thing hanging in the window of your soul, and it passed you over. There's some terrible stuff that should have gone down, but when it saw the red cord hanging in the window of your soul, it passed you over. You saw somebody else in your family died of uh, uh, overdose. Somebody else in your family is guilty and in prison today because of murder, and such would have been for you. But when it got there, somebody had prayed And it passed you over. And the last point I'm going to make before I get out of your way the blood is a sign of victory. Victory. We often associate victory with a battle. But can I tell you, Rahab didn't do nothing to win this fight. And neither did you. When you have the blood on you, you didn't do anything to break the power of sin or sickness or depression or heartache, but you have the evidence. What somebody else did for you, you now got on you. Hallelujah. That's why a brother like me can stand in the pulpit on Sundays, knowing who I have been, knowing what I have done, and defiantly stand here and say, I'm better than this. I didn't ever say I was perfect. I didn't ever say I haven't done some wrong. What I'm saying is I'm better than this. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what I'm up under because of what he's done. That's why I stand up and tell people all the time, have confidence, you're better than this. When you look at the devil, tell the devil, don't get too used to what you are seeing in my life right now because God's about to switch this thing up on you. And you don't know it, but God's about to do a thing. And I don't know how to tell you anything except when he shows up, I'm going to celebrate. I'm keeping coming to church. Devil, go ahead and tell me I'll die. God says I'm going to live. Go ahead and tell me I'll be broke. He says I'm coming out triumphant. I'm going to tell you something about me devil and you don't have to believe me but because of the blood you don't even know what's about to happen in my life so in the book of Exodus Deuteronomy and Numbers Moses would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the people before he would give them the word We'll say that again. He would take blood and sprinkle it on the people before he would deliver the word. And the Bible says that when he would sprinkle the blood, it would leave stains on their clothing and on their skin and in their hair and their beards. That means everybody could see who'd been marked by the blood you ever watch them crime shows? I like to watch them crime shows I like to watch like CSI and NCIS and criminal minds and law and order you ever ever notice when they are on a murder scene they got this special light and they come in the room and everybody says oh the killer cleaned up and there ain't no evidence to the naked eye but they got this special light that when you shine it on the blood what wasn't evident to the naked eye shows up in the light and some of y'all need to know that the devil keeps coming at you every day with his light and he's looking for your guilt and he's looking for your shame and he's trying to find your fear. And he's trying to make you remember your past. And he's trying to make you feel guilty. And he comes and he's got his inspection. And he's got his magnifying glass. And he's constantly trying to remind you of who you've always been. And how many back steps you've taken. And how you've often fall, fallen apart. And how them people down at the church don't really see what I see. But can I tell you that when you get this thing up under the blood. When the devil comes flashing his light. You know what he finds? He sees the blood of Jesus and he ain't no fool he keeps stepping, he backs off he reports because he knows that when you're up under the blood there is no condemnation there is no guilt you need this gift of the blood of Jesus, you need it Satan the blood of Jesus is against you so The enemy thought that if he could kill Jesus, he'd shut down the gospel. But the Bible says that if the devil would have known what he was doing, he would have never crucified our Lord. Because as long as the blood was inside that Nazarene, it was just blood but when they spilled it on Calvary it stopped just being the blood and it makes me better than this see the devil didn't know what he was unleashing when they tied him to the whipping post and gave him forty lashes he didn't know that spilling Jesus's blood was eradicating cancer and diabetes and heart disease he didn't know that when he hung him high and stretched him wide that the blood that ran down Calvary's hill was setting Albert Mitchum free so I could preach to you on Easter morning to tell you about the Passover principle that you need this blood in your life if you have not been saved I'm telling you, the blood is for you. It is protection. It is deliverance. It is victory. And it's for you. Had he known what he was doing, he'd have never crucified our Lord. Is that Paul? Nevertheless, I'm alive even though I'm dead, but it's not I who live. But when the devil thought he'd killed Jesus, he didn't know that in three days, Whew. Jesus was going to rise again so that on Easter 2021, some of you can. Wherever you see the blood You let them alone Destruction Does not defy The blood Sickness Cannot defy The blood Rebellion Disorder Chaos Confusion Divorce Lack Cannot defy Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Play something soft if you will. I'm better than this.
1: And if you're sitting there
0: right now and you know you're better than what you've been living. you understand. Maybe you've accepted Christ before, but you've taken a few steps back. Maybe you've came to church for a long time, but you've never committed yourself to Christ. And you're sitting here right now knowing in your heart of hearts that you are better than what you've been doing. Then this altar calls for you. And I'm going to ask you to be bold. Because I'm going to ask you to be public with your faith. And I'm going to ask you to get up from wherever it is that you're seated in this room and come down to this altar. We're going to pray with you. And here's what's going to happen the Bible says that Moses would sprinkle the blood on the people before he preached. And after he preached. And after he preached, he would sprinkle the blood on them and say, because the blood has been applied, the word I have spoken over you is going to come to pass. And anytime you sit in a house of God like this where you're taught the word repeatedly, can I tell you what happens? The word that you hear comes in contact with the blood that's on your life. And it produces the result of the word. So I'm going to give you a head start. I'm going to ask everybody in here if you're physically able to rise to your feet. And I'll ask a couple different groups of people to come up here, but none of which is going to be as important as the first group. If you're here, and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If you're here, and you, you have known, but you know that where you're at, you're better than this. And you want to recommit yourself to Jesus. I want you to come to this altar. Pastor, everybody's going to be looking at me. They're going to be celebrating with you. Trust me, I know these folks. And there's nothing that they want more than to celebrate with somebody coming home. Where you? At, I know you here, And Spirit of God sometimes will compel me to show me, but I'm not going to do that to you. My God in heaven, I'm going to wait for you. I'm listen, listen. I got nowhere to be. That's more important than where I am right now. I got nothing more important to do than what I'm doing right now. Why don't you look around this altar and realize heaven's rejoicing. My God in heaven. Pastor LaShawn, you want to come help me? Listen, I'll take all the time it takes. We we ain't got nowhere else to be. That's more important than where we're at. This is the most important thing we'll do all day. This is the most important thing we'll do all year. I know I'm better than this. And I'm about to tell the devil I'm better than this. I'm about to let hell and all of its demons know I'm better than what I've been doing. Because Jesus died for me and this blood is for me. Hey, it's not real complicated. I'm about to do something so simple you're not even going to think it's going to work. But I promise you, if you mean it in your heart, that you're as assured of heaven as if you were already standing there. You're as assured of heaven as if you were already on streets of gold. It is literally this simple. Every person that came to this altar that wants to dedicate their life to, to Jesus Christ, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me of all my sins. Make me right with you. I devote my entire life to serving you in Jesus' name. Pastor, there's no way it's that simple. I promise you it's that simple book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and you have made it in your heart, it is assured to you. You're saved. I want you to say it out loud. Will you say it? With, say, I am saved. Yeah, let the devil hear you say it. I am saved. Now, I want to come and personally pray. I'm going to pray with everybody on this side, brother. Uh, Pastor Lejon, would you pray for everybody? And I want you to give every person over there one of these. Put it in their hand. This is a reminder of what happened today and every time the devil comes, he's going to see the blood and know that destruction has to pass over your life.